And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. We are here tonight to talk about some arguments for abortion by those in the pro-choice side of this. So we obviously are not on that, but uh, we're here to address some of these arguments and talk about them here on the program tonight. This is episode number 536. Again, 536 tonight here on G220 Radio. And as you can see, we have Mike Miller and the original Natty P uh, here to discuss this here tonight. And so, uh, and when Mike, Mike has got controls because he's got <laughs> sound effects and that's pretty cool. Like we're moving up in the world here I'm on G220. Saying. It's exciting to have Natty now. P on. I think we need some clapping for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, to be here yeah for sure for sure so uh we're gonna get into this topic and th- this is one that came up just re- recently roe v wade was overturned and this happened on june 24th uh this reversal of a decision that happened from 1973 uh when roe v wade was the landmark decision of the supreme court that allowed for a woman's choice to have an abortion and that's been basically this decision that has been ruling since then in the land that has allowed for the murdering of babies legally in our country, the murdering of babies legally in our country. We will not shy away from the truth of what abortion is. Uh, We've stated it on many occasions in the past as well on this program and the positions that we hold abortion is murder. It is ending the life of a child. Uh, a child in a place that should be the safest place for that child, which is in the womb of a mother, a parent who should be loving that child as that child is developing over the course of nine months in the way in which God has created the body des- to des- or the body's design to bring forth uh, children. And so uh, that is what we're going to talk about here tonight on G220 Radio. And uh, so let's go ahead and kind of get into this. But before we do that, uh, I want to uh, go ahead and let Mike talk about this because we weren't going to do this show. We were going to continue with our Proverbs series. But Mike said, hey, in light of this overturning, let's talk about this. So, Mike, go ahead. Give us a little bit of what your thoughts were going into why this is an important topic for us to do here tonight. Yeah, so... I started thinking about it after my wife sent a text to me of a picture from the women's church crap church, sorry, church chat from um, Facebook. And someone was asking, someone had reached out to one of a fellow church member and she had posted the comments in there was asking for help. And as I was thinking about this, I mean, I've, gone through some college courses at Liberty on this, the things we've thought I thought about and I talk about in um, seminary and that I could address these arguments, maybe fumbly. I don't always kind of repeat or think over these arguments very often, but how many other Christians would know what to say? A lot of the arguments we encounter on these are arguments that are to kind of stop the conversation to say, look, this is it. Like you're, you're not considering these people 
And you, you, we see these in these arguments. And so in light of kind of the ramp up of the overturning of Roe versus Wade saying that is not that the Supreme court wrongly decided that case and it should be, and then given back to the powers of the state is really what the ruling was about really ramped up these arguments. And so it's like, I know we've talked about them. There's others, but it would be good to rethink about these issues and to consider them again and to address them in a way, as I kind of mentioned in the Facebook post from, um, from Matthew 10, that we're wise as serpent and as, or I don't yeah. remember. I can't general remember. As dove. General as a dove. Yeah. Yeah. General as a dove. And to think about these, because in one sense, while these are just arguments, there are people who face these realities and we need to consider and think about them in, in light of God's revelation, calling sin when sins need to be calling and making proper distinctions between what is truly an abortion and what is kind of seen as a medical procedure mm-hmm. and having these different categories will help us to kind of navigate all of these different arguments and provide sufficient biblical Christian answers to them that reflect what the court should have done in 1973, what they did do in the recent days and the fight that will continue as states make these up. I know here at, in Kentucky, abortions are illegal. There's a law signed in 2019. It's one of the trigger laws that as if Roe would be overturned, abortions are illegal in Louisville. That means the two abortion clinics, I think Planned Parenthood is now doing abortions here in Louisville also, but the two remaining clinics in Kentucky here in Louisville are no longer performing abortions. And this is a good thing, Um, but it's not going to stop. The battle doesn't stop. These arguments aren't going to stop. And so we need to think carefully about them and to consider them and to respond rightly to them in one way to honor God in presenting truth to, in most cases, a very broken situation that needs to be carefully navigated. Yeah. Well, I think uh, some things you said there that I think is important for us to put out there is, again, yes, Roe v. Wade has been overturned, which means this then goes back to the states. And now at state level, then people fight to end it at that state or at the the level of the state. And some states have trigger laws uh, in in effect that when, when this was overturned, they're automatically there's an end to an abortion in those states. But then you have those other states that are still allowing for abortions and encouraging people to come to their states to have those abortions uh, to end the lives of, of the children in, their, in the mother's womb. And so it's still a fight that we as Christians still need to be fighting for the complete end of abortion totally in all states. It shouldn't be. I know that it gets thrown out there often uh, by the Democratic side. We we want to uh, tackle the issues that make an abortion even a thought. Is what they say, right? We want to make it unthinkable. 
Well, it should never be thinkable. It should never be a thought to uh, consider to murder your own child for the sake of whatever excuse you want to throw in there. It doesn't justify the murdering of the children. And so we want to do our best here to address some of these argumentations that people are going to hear. Because again, they're still going to come. You're still going to have these conversations. And as you said, Mike, we want to do it um, as gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. But we also need to understand what, what does this mean when we're doing this apologetically? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean if somebody's coming up to you and you're having legitimate conversation and, and it's a conversation where the individual is reasonable and wants to really reason, then be gracious. But the Bible also tells me to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he thinks he's wise in his own eyes. And so sometimes you need to put things back on people and answer them in those types of ways that you're just showing the folly, the foolishness of their argumentation. And, and this is what the Bible tells us to do. It also tells us not to answer a fool according to his folly, unless we think we're, you know, um, unless we become like them. So you have to balance this. You have to evaluate the conversation. And if someone's just a mocker, if someone's coming up, then put it back on the folly to show them how foolish it is, their argumentation. So hopefully we'll be able to do some of that here tonight. Um, Nathaniel, uh, you've been out there with me at abortion centers proclaiming the gospel. You've been out on your own uh, in your area to proclaim the gospel and and in t- have these conversations. Even on college campuses, these conversations come up. Uh, what are your thoughts in what we're we're going to be talking about here tonight, and and just on abortion overall, and kind of what we're we've been discussing here so far? Hmm. Um. I don't know. A lot of times you'll have, have a lot of like uh, thought terminating cliches uh, where people will just throw things out that are just meant to stop all thought and um, kind of end the conversation uh, without without it actually thinking about it. I guess a lot of times it's a fool that's talking in their folly Some a lot of times. Um, things like my body, my choice aren't really meant to be an argument. Even if you say, oh, it's not your body, they're not really trying to, they're just trying to shut the conversation down with a cliche that they've heard and a slogan that gets repeated over and over. Um, And then a lot of other times there's um, actually probably in the majority of these pro-choice arguments, it's um, based on an appeal to emotion. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with that Ben Shapiro clip where People think he's winning the day whenever he says facts don't care about your feelings. And something that I'm wont to say all the time is uh, their feelings don't care about your facts. So I think in as much as we engage with people with, with logical arguments and stuff, uh, if we don't have a proper amount of uh, pathos or uh, emotional appeal to kind of uh, deal with those deal with those emotional arguments um, and appeal appeal to their sensibilities. I think they, you end up talking past one another because they're talking mm-hmm. about their feelings and you're talking about the facts and you, you got kind of got to appeal to the whole person, not just to their, yeah. their thinking sensibilities, especially if they're not willing to engage those. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's an excellent point, uh, brother, because I think it can become very easy, especially on the conservative side of things, when you hear that facts don't care about your feelings, but people do have feelings. People do have emotions. 
And we don't allow our feelings and emotions to dictate truth. We shouldn't as Christians. That doesn't mean they dictate truth, but it's an emotional topic. And so we, we, we want to be, again, as Mike said, wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, so far as we are not compromising truth in the conversation. And that's why it always comes down to discerning the, the type of conversation you're having. Uh, so we as Christians, we need to be wise. We need to be able to discern, is this person genuinely trying to have a conversation with me? This is the position they hold because maybe it's that they're just regurgitating the things they've heard and really never thought through the arguments. I think Ray Comfort does a really good job. When you watch that old film, 180, or other times where he's out and he's having conversations with people on the topic of abortion, he he does it in such a way, and Ray's just a really genuine kind of nice guy in his approach and way he comes across. But the way he takes the conversation in a loving, gracious way and then turns it to this person realizing or recognizing, seeing Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so you're getting the person to think through the position that they have. And I think it's a great example to look at. Uh, and and we should be, as Christians, trying to do something similar in the sense where we want, if, if the conversation's going where the person really doesn't seem like they really thought these things through, we want to convey it in such a way to get them to think through these things. Right. Because ultimately, we as Christians, and we're presuppositional, we're not seeking just to win the argument so we can walk and be like, yeah, look what we did to that pro-choicer. Look what we did to that atheist. Look what we did to that, that agnostic or that, that Muslim. No, we want to see them come to Christ. Ultimately, that should always be our goal is to see individuals come to Christ over everything. Right. And so in doing that, we have to consider the way in which we carry that conversation that being said, that doesn't mean that we, uh, in dealing with a mocker, we don't answer a fool according to their folly. Again, I, I believe we, we have to discern the conversation and, and go from there. Mike? Yeah, I do think this is also a good time. I know I've mentioned just Greg Coco and his use of questions, learning how to use questions in a way that to disarm the person you're talking about mm -hmm. you're talking not about but talking to learning to just even ask basic basic questions about what do you mean by that and how did you come to that conclusion and to to kind of keep going back and and thinking through making them think through those issues a lot of these kind of thought stopping statements or question stopping statements are tended to do that but when you start pushing back on them, and I've found this out, they tend not to have the answers needed. Mm -hmm. They're holding to this statement without thinking about the statement. And I think this is an, a good opportunity to, again, using questions in a gentle way to probe their mindset because it, to kind of work through not only the emotion, but the logical aspect as we think about this issue. And I mean, really it comes down to when we think about this is really, is the child someone to be honored or are they not? And our society doesn't think that way. And the Bible does. Mm-hmm.
and and to can to to show them and to work through that that this this human who's in someone else's body deserves the same pro life the same life that the person who is holding it bearing it also deserves and to connect that a lot of people have made the comment that while the um founders of america didn't um abolish slavery the declaration of independence and some of the language used provided seeds in which arguments can be built upon that would end slavery now there's some evidence to say that maybe they thought it was going to be like a generation and it took longer and we just see the sinfulness of humans hearts and and how all that plays out and again the same thing is here pro-abortion arguments are arguments kind of based on desires for themselves and sin. And it, as you, as we kind of think through this, not all arguments are. And so we need to call the ones that are kind of fundamentally founded upon kind of sinful desires versus arguments that unfortunately because of a sinful world happen but it doesn't make them sin and how we think about those arguments a lot of it dealing with issues containing to the mother's or baby's life we need to consider those differently than well i don't want a child right now because it'll ruin my career or maybe because i was raped or something along that line and those two sides of their argument are kind of lumped together as one but we need to understand their different arguments and how we proceed with both of them are different but in the end as you know kind of presuppositionally we are starting at a different place and when we hold that children are a blessing from god and to be honored it's good to have children versus kind of the pro-abortion who only look as life as children as a burden and are kind of pro pro the woman's life instead of holding to both. Well, one of the things I think uh, I, I also want to address before we get into some of this argumentation is the fact that we here have strongly pushed for the abolition for the end of abortion completely. That's what we want to see. But what I've seen also recently is individuals who will put out statements like, hey, let's not gloat or let's not be prideful or because Roe v. Wade was overturned. And sometimes I've seen some arguments from reformed guys that look almost like they're hyper-Calvinists to the point of, hey, look, it's God's will this way. It would be God's will the other way. So let's not really you know, gloat or one way or the other with this. No, God gives us victories. Even when you read through the Psalms and you see this, they, they thank God when he delivers them from his enemies or their enemies, right? So we can look at this and say, hey, this is a victory the Lord has given us. And we can say, praise God, this has been overturned. It goes to the States. Again, we still, there's still a fight that has to happen. We still need to stand. Mm-hmm. We still need to stand up against it. This is an evil. This is an atrocity that is happening in our nation. 
But we can thank God that has been overturned, that God has worked in the hearts of these individuals to say, that was a stupid decision. It should have never been that to begin with. So let's praise God for it. And we shouldn't feel bad about praising God for a victory that he's given to us. Okay. And, and I don't know if you guys have seen any things like that. I've seen it and yeah. I'm just like, that's come on guys. That's that's we're Christians here. We should be thankful that God has overturned this. Yeah. I don't know. I, I haven't, I don't, I don't get on social media that much, but I've seen people post stuff that they've seen from these guys that are like uh, secret leftists and, saying similar things like, oh, there's people hurting because of this decision and that kind of stuff. I haven't seen the, the hyper-Calvinist stuff, but it's just, um, there's a lot of craziness, I guess. Yeah. With, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yep. And so those kind of things that come out, they make you wonder about certain individuals. But anyways, let's kind of get into this. Mike, you had brought up the health of the mother or rape as opposed to the other aspect of why people have abortions. So let's kind of go there first. Let's talk about this. As you said, there's a difference in the way that we would approach this. And I, I think there needs to be, as, as even Nathaniel, you brought out facts, don't care about your feelings, but there are people with feelings. And so we need to, to care because their feelings don't care about the facts. Yeah. Right. So a woman who has been raped, I think, when we engage that individual who says I was raped and so I'm seeking an abortion for this reason, I think we, while we still don't never want to compromise truth and, and rape does not justify murdering a child. We want to be sensitive in that conversation with this individual while still never giving ground to say that it's okay for that child to lose its life for the sin of the father. Okay. And then also, it only represents about 1% or less than 1% of those who are going to seek an abortion. And honestly, it's usually thrown out. So if we, if we run into an individual that that is their case, they have been raped, and so they're struggling with this wanting to you know, end the life of this child because they don't want to carry it because of what it may uh, bring to them emotionally to do so because of the, vic- the, the that they were a victim of rape. Um, if that's the case, obviously, again, we want to be sensitive to that. We want to address them uh, with grace, with uh, humility, with compassion, I should say, for them. Um, but in in many cases, that's not the case. A lot of people are just bringing that up. And if you were to ask them, okay, let me grant that less than 1% to you. Put that aside. The other 98, 98 99%, would you be willing to end that and say that kind of abortion is bad? Most of them would say, well, no, I'm for it, right? So it's really not even their argument. But let's talk about that a little bit more here. We brought it out, this argument of what about during during rape or incest? Well, it's like um, a lot of those, whether it's rape or health of the mother or whatever, um, a lot of that comes down to partiality. Um, and somehow the... The mother's life is more valuable than the child in 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 utero because of any number of factors. Um, it could could have to do with uh, personhood theory, which is a a part of like contemporary postmodern philosophy. 
that people don't view view the life of the child in the womb as being an actual person. But in any event, um, what it comes down to is that somehow, what, whether you're using that postmodern philosophy or or some other other means, is in a in a situation like that, you're saying that the life of the child is an expendable life that could be expended to spare the suffering of the mother who, because of whatever her, her life experience or how, however it would go, uh, that she's more valuable. And so her life needs to be the prime life in consideration and not the life of the child who's expendable because obviously, uh, whether they stated or not in their mind, it's a less valuable life. Yeah. I think to, to think about it is what other kind of law would kind of the victim get the punishment and and to, to think about that. Now let's, let's call rape what rape is. Rape is sin. And the people who do it deserve to be punished. And if that's happened to you, you report it. You need to call your local law enforcement and report it. Because they're going to do it again until they're caught. And so let's call that out as it is. That the one who does the action has sinned and committed a crime and needs the punishment for it. And they're the one who deserves the punishment. Now they have done something against God's natural order. And so when we think about that, I mean, people sin all the time and we believe in God's providence and he can use others, people's sins for his glory. The chief story we can think about is Joseph. In one instance, his brothers killed him. Now they sold him to slaves, but from the father's view, he's dead. They've done something evil. They have murdered someone in that eye. But when he saves them during the drought and this brother's fear they're going he's going to punish them because he's in a position of power we get the great line that what you meant for evil god meant for good and when we think about the issue of rape and the sin that was committed there i think when we talk about aborting the baby. You're in one sense, aborting a blessing of God. It may not seem that way, but children are a blessing from God and God uses sinful people to accomplish his will. And, but then again, the baby isn't the one who did anything wrong. Yes. It's a consequence of, it's a following of, but the child has done nothing wrong. It doesn't deserve the death sentence to be put away. And we wouldn't use that for any other 
kind of modes of our loss. So even just in that way, let alone again, of the fact that it's a person that the, the baby is a person and deserves the same rights of life and to deny its life is to say it's not worthy of living. And as Nathaniel says, that is partiality, that that life isn't as important. And so like we were kind of talking before the show, some people say I'm pro-choice because I'm pro-life. I'm pro-life for the mother. It was a Facebook post I found. But you're not pro-life because you only care about the mother. I think the pro-life movement against the characters – care about not only the baby, but the mother. That's why a lot of them advocate adopting or even would say, I would adopt your kid that, and they truly mean that. And so there's something there and obviously it's a traumatic experience. And, you know, with the fact that the child will have semblance of the one who raped you, but that doesn't mean murder is, one to do it. And I think when we hold to a strong per- person heard, we hold to the providence of God. This argument just doesn't make sense, especially in light of the justice that God has given to us and planted in our conscience. Well, yeah, because even, even when you consider consider rape again, Statistically, um, there, it's, it's less than 1% of women have abortion because of rape. And, um, but still, there, there is. It's one, less than 1%. So there are some that, that that's the reason why they uh, are seeking to end the life of the child. But it is never right to justify murdering a child for the crime of the father. And there have been cases where there have been women who have been raped and decided that they were going to give birth to that child. Some, they give the child up, some kept the child, and it was a huge blessing to them through that. What God has did, what God done through the act of that vile, heinous act of rape, keeping that child that then is a blessing to them, right? And so um, it just, it doesn't justify the murdering of a child based upon the sins of the father. And if you take that to its logical conclusion, you would have to take that even further. Let's say a woman is with a man and they have a child and this child is three or four years old. And then this man and this woman break up and he ends up raping her. And that child looks just like him. So now every time he looks at, she looks at this three or four year old child, it reminds her of this man who raped her, her. Does that mean then that she should be able to end that child's life? I'd say no, no, because the value of that child's life, it seems like when it comes to abortion, is because you cannot see the baby in the womb, it's as if that life doesn't exist. And, and I think that we as Christians have not done a good job of kind of relaying that the baby in the womb is life, it's always after the birth of the baby. And so because I don't think we've relayed that really well, people have it in their mindset when you don't see it, 
it's easier to kill it than when you're actually in the presence of this child in front of you. But even a five-year-old or two-year-old, three-year-old, when they see a pregnant woman, they say, oh, she's going to have a baby. They recognize that. But for somehow there's this disconnect with us as, as adults or, or older individuals who uh, don't seem to think about it in the same way. That when you lose, when I know for, for, for a fact that a woman who has a miscarriage feels that when she loses the life of that child. It's not something that just, I lost this child and I go on on my life without any thought of it. No, there's there it's, it's felt because a child has been lost. Right. But then there's this disconnect with those who think it's okay to abort your child, to murder your child. Um, and I think some of that has to do with consciences being seared. Uh, as, as the Bible says, he turns them over to a debased mind where people then believe the lies. They start to believe and call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. And their conscience is so seared that it doesn't affect them in the same way. You know? Mm-hmm. So the other thing is, Nathaniel, you brought up life of the mother. Um and again, this is a small percentage of this happening. Uh, I, I was telling you guys before the show, I was listening to a doctor who had made the statement that if if you can get, and, and I know this from a, a personal experience of, of a family member who was high risk. And um, this individual had to be put on bed rest for a while because they want to try to get you to at least to a certain point in the pregnancy. So that then after 21 weeks, if you're still high risk and this baby needs to come out, you can uh, induce the labor so that it naturally you're, you're inducing it so that it's, it's a natural labor or a natural birth or a C-section, which then in, in many of those cases, the life of the mother and the life of the baby can be spared and, and, and live. And then sometimes, unfortunately that child may die, but it will die naturally rather than going in and, and, pulling this child limb from limb, which also can cause a lot of serious problems to the mother as well. Right. And so this idea though, that the health of the mother is another uh, reason why people will have this objection. When we look at this again, I know many mothers who would and fathers who would give their life for their children. And this has kind of been flipped on its head. Whereas you were saying, we think of the woman's life being more valuable than the life of the child. And I think morally, uh, biblically, we would try to do everything we can to save both, not just choosing one over the other. Yeah. yeah. And to, to think about some of the issues on the life of the mother is that a lot of times... obviously there is this desire of wanting and it's going to be noticed on checkups and the doctors there are doing to it. You have some who will say, you know, maybe a, a placenta a placental eruption and that can kill the mother. It's a valid effect of the fall that happens during pregnancy. 
but even when it happens, which um, seemingly happens later in the pregnancy, they can induce. They can try to save both. And that it's not this, oh, we need to kill this baby to save the mother type of instance. And to think about, again, the the medical advancements we have today to save both the mother and the child. This isn't a kind of thing that's happening very often that needs to be addressed. This is rare. We can, for the most part, prevent it. So it's really here at this point, you're kind of trying to legislate by these like fringe cases and trying to make laws or arguments on things that just doesn't happen and tend to be medical, actual medical procedures that we've known about and have tried to solve and to correct and have the technology now in some places to be able to do that. And so it's not, it's not really an argument to be made because you're not in one sense aborting a fetus. And even if it does die, as you mentioned before the show, it's of natural causes. It's no longer considered an abortion. And if that were to happen in any part of the pregnancy, again, it's, it's not this, it's not an abortion. It's a natural death. And to look at it, and again, we should probably haven't, not that the pro-choice would listen, but to, to stress that it's not an abortion, but the goal is to save both and do what you can. And there's very rarely this either or option that comes up. And so it's just, it's not really a good argument and kind of just to thinking, thinking about it statistically or even kind of the life of what it happens. It's for it. So again, I think it's just trying to build up these discussion stopping statements without really thinking through like, is this really what's happening? Yeah. And I, I think, think what, what kind of, no, go ahead, Nathaniel. I was just going to say, I think, I think too, um, in addition to that, um, the, the life of the mother thing probably comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of what a mother is mm-hmm. children are treated more like a fancy and expensive accessory to go with their their new gucci bag and their uh whatever sports car they got in the driveway instead what we see in the bible is that uh, if you look at the wife of noble character she's someone who lays her life down and serves her family and might may make all sorts of sacrifices over the course of her life, uh, whether it's sleep with the baby, um, or extra hours spent with her children, whatever. Um, the mom of the Bible is someone who makes sacrifices for her family. And so whenever we're talking about these life of the mother, whether it's an exception to one of the pro-life laws or, or, uh, just saying, what if, what if the woman dies, shouldn't there be an abortion kind of an argument? Um, Moms are by design supposed to lay down their lives for their children, not not the other way around. 
Uh, obviously, don't stretch that too far, but I, th- I think you can get get what I'm saying is is a mom in her natural instinct is at all costs protect her child, e- even unto death, in the same way that a, a father would, his natural instinct would be to protect his wife and his kids. So um, mm-hmm. I think I think part of it is just some a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what a mother is uh, that that the child would be expected to lay down his life at such a young age to, to yeah. save the mother. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's absolutely uh, um, important for us to understand that the role of a father, the role of a mother as laid out biblically. Uh, and if you don't have that understanding because you are one who is not appealing to the word of God as your authority, um, it doesn't make it any less true because God's word is the authority and God's word is true. And so God has created you with a conscience and with the moral law written upon your heart already. Um, And so, and in that moral law, it says you shall not murder. This is one of God's commands and all of the law is, 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 laid out in that you should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's why we as Christians stand against this because the Bible says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And when we think of this hands that shed innocent blood, this is one of the things we see is, is taking place with abortion. Babies are being murdered. And so along with this idea of life of the mother, the other argumentation comes up with, we need to keep abortion legal. Otherwise you're going to have back alley abortions or in these um, offices or these underground doctor's offices, back alley doctor's offices that are going to have these abortions and they're not going to be safe and no abortion, just no abortion is safe. Every abortion that is successful ends in the death of the baby. That's not safe. And sometimes the mother as well. We've seen it here in Cleveland. How many mothers have died in preterm and other abortion clinics around, they're not even clinics, really other centers uh, around the, the United States and the world where mothers have lost their lives in having these procedures to murder their own child. Right. And so this idea that we need to keep it legal so that it's safe, it's never safe. And secondly, we don't apply that same kind of logic to other crime, to other sin. That's like saying, well, this mother who wants to murder her child, we need to keep it safe for her. Well, that's like saying this mass shooter over here who wants to go and shoot up places, we need to make it legal so it's safe for him because sometimes they die in the process. It's ridiculous. Fortunately, they're applying that to drugs. That same argument. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, with needle exchanges and stuff like that. But I think to to think about safe legal wear. I mean, yes. That could happen. I think there is a slippery slope there. You have to kind of prove that banning abortion is going to lead to these back alley um, 
abortion clinics that are going to be unsafe and dirty and and can kill the mother. There is there is a slippery a slippery slope argument there. There is no evidence to prove that that's what's going to happen. It's just a, a scare tactic. Oh, I mean, even Sorry. if it even if that's what was going to happen, that's what should happen. I mean, if you if you're it's like the, the mass shooter thing. I mean, it's like kind of an assumption of risk. If you're going to go in and shoot up a school, like you assume the risk that the cops are going to come in and blow you away. It's the same thing. If you're going to murder your child, you assume the risk that you're going to, that you're going to hemorrhage and bleed out from committing such a heinous atrocity. So, I mean, if, if they do go to unsafe back alley abortions, that's where, that's where that, that kind of heinous activity should be. It should be in the shadows. It shouldn't be, I mean, not to be cold or unfeeling, but that's, that's where it should be. It's it's whenever you bring bring sin out and exalted that it flourishes the way it does. Yeah, and, and like even even with with any type of of murder crime, it's it's murder, right? Uh, yeah. One of the other things they'll say here is we need to keep this leg legal so that it's safe. We need to not legislate uh, morality, not legislate what these women should be able to do with their own bodies. Um, but we legislate all the time morality. We have laws that say you cannot murder someone else. And that goes back to this understanding what that child is in the womb of that mother. It's life, which happens at conception. And so if this is life and you are ending the life premeditatedly, that's murder. There's already laws against murder but yet we we act as if this somehow is different because it's about women's rights and choice and define what a woman is i mean like this is just the 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 place in which we find ourselves and we want to try to address these argumentations that come because it's important because we care for these women more than the abortion doctors care for these women more than the clinic uh, escorts that are escorting them in to murder their child care about these women. We care about these women enough to tell them the truth that they're going in to murder their child. And when you come out and you are no longer pregnant, it doesn't make you any less of a mother. You're still a mother, but a mother of the dead of a dead child that died at your hand because you went in and paid somebody to end the life of that child. That's a serious, serious thing that these women then have to live with. And they don't tell you about those risk factors either of the depression, the suicidal thoughts, uh, the, the things that come down upon that woman for taking the life of her child. Mm-hmm. Mike, yeah, I think you was going to say, say something else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, our laws are inconsistent with this. So when we consider abortion and there's choice there and it's not, it's not murder, but if the same woman, even going to the abortion clinic gets hit with a car by a drunk driver and dies and the baby dies also, that's considered a double homicide. So even the, the consistency in the thought isn't there because if it's, just a clump of sales, if it's not something to be honored and it is worthy to protect, then why is it a double homicide if she gets killed while pregnant and considered 
murder. Like that's that should technically only be one count of murder if you look at their logic. And I think there we can look at the flawed logic that we can say yes. What happened when a drunk driver killed a mother and her child is is devastating. And the person who did it should be charged for murder. That makes it no less different in the abortion clinic. And it's only because, and it doesn't, it's not even that she versus she wants it or not. That makes it right. It's not the choice of the mother. The, the baby has its own intrinsic value and which in this modern day is just lost on. That's why you have Peter Sanger saying, well, maybe we should allow infanticide up to two years old. Like, does it really matter whether it's in the womb or not? When does life actually begin? When is that? um, I can't think of the term. Well, that's that right there is 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 a is a good way to transition into another one of these. Here is uh, the idea of when does it become a child, right? And there's a Laura Klausing, I think is her name. Uh, They have Klassen, and she's up from Canada, and she did this one video, and it's it's silly, but that's her point. She wants you to see the silliness of this. She takes a baby and she's like, oh, look, through the magical birth canal, it goes from non-baby to baby, you know? Um, and that's this idea of, well, it's not yet a human being. It's not yet life, right? Um, but what is it? And they will argue, well, it's, they'll say it's a fetus. Well, well, what does fetus mean? It means a little child, right? And so this, this is the developing stages of life. One, because this is how God has created us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist says. And then he has given us these stages that happen over life. We are developing. Even when after you're born, you're continuing to develop and going from uh, childhood to adolescence and so forth. You're, go- you're growing in these different stages of life. It's development. And that's what's happening here. And so this idea that it's not yet a... a human or it's not yet life in the womb well what is it it's not a chicken it's human life and if you were to go and destroy a bald eagle's egg you would be fined thousands of dollars you'd probably lose your house with how much money it would cost you for doing that because it's protected but we don't protect the life of children in their mother's womb this is this is a it's a bad argument to say it's not yet a human. Well, then what is it? It's human life. This is how biology works. It's how God created it to work. The other thing is is my body, my choice. But it's not your body. It's the body inside of your body that is being put to death. You're not dying. You're putting it to death. And treat it just like it's any other organ. It's not. You don't have four arms. You don't have four legs. You don't have two hearts and two brains. You don't have that. And in some cases, the mother who is pregnant with a child has a male child in her. That is not a 
woman that has got transgender parts because they've had surgeries. This is a completely different genetic code that's in this child. It's not the same as a liver or one of the other organs in her body that has her genetic code. This is a completely different genetic code. And so these things, this is how God has designed for children to come forth. A male and a female, they come together, they leave their parents, they cleave to one another, they become one flesh, they're intimate, and a child is born. At the moment of conception, life begins, and then a child is born over the process of nine months as it is developing within the mother. So, again, these are some some really not good arguments, but these are the kind of arguments that they do come out. And again, a lot of times I think it's just, it's things they've heard so many times and they've really never thought, thought through these types of argumentation. Like that, the, uh, what one was it? Um, oh, the, it's not a person yet. That's uh, really out of an outgrowth of existentialist philosophy that kind of permeates our whole culture. Um, whether it's abortion or not, where you can separate your, where the, the existence precedes essence. So you're, you're the fact that you exist doesn't mean you have the essential properties, which makes you you until you carve out your essence by a sheer force of will. It's kind of like when people told me I could be anything I wanted to be when I grow up. Um, I existed, but I wasn't whatever that magical thing was that I was going to, by sheer force of will, uh, make myself in my essential properties. So that's um, the bad philosophy, I guess, that really... Uh, causes or, or is the fertile seedbed for that kind of an argument that it's, it's, it might be a, a life, it might be a baby, but it's not a person yet. Um, because it, ha it hasn't done anything, so to speak, to like uh, earn its right, uh, earn its personhood, I guess. They, I don't think they would say it that way, but that's essentially what it is, is they haven't. And I mean, you see that in transgenderism too, right? You're looking for your authentic self. Um, you you existed, but you weren't your authentic self because what you really wanted to be or, or, or felt inside your bosom was that you were really supposed to be a girl, even though you're born with boy parts. And, um, it's just a real disgusting philosophy that's all over the culture. And so it's, it lubricates that it might be a life, but it's not a person yet kind of a deal. And it's just kind of like the air we breathe, I guess. And that's why it's such an easy, easy and convenient lie to believe, I guess. Yeah. And it's only applied to humans. Right. Too. It's right. never applied to. Bald eagles. Bald eagles. Giraffes. Dogs. Like you don't, you don't see these arguments um, made outside of kind of in one sense a hatred of the image of God. Right. I mean, that's really what it comes kind of thinking through it is when you take out the, the arguments about dealing with medical issues, valid medical issues and the results that may come up to it's a, in one sense, what the pro choice the pro-abortion people are arguing for is a hatred of God's image and a, a worship of, in some sense, self 
maybe some of it, I mean, that may not necessarily be the same when you start dealing kind of in the ideas of rape and incest. But a lot of that comes down to a worship of me, the creature over the creator. I've already, in some of these arguments, when you think of um, people having intimate, like, intimate relations outside of the confounds of marriage, and now they have kind of, I want to say the consequence because it sounds bad, but the logical actions of what happened in pregnancy. And then this is going about doing things that God has told us not to do, not how, and it's not how God has created us that. And as I was, I was thinking more about this, when we think of, about more of the choice and less of kind of the medical side is that abortion only really exists in a world of sin when people value themselves over God, when they've created an image in their own likeness, as opposed to worshiping the one true God. And that they think they have the choice of life or death. And especially coming with this. And you have like arguments like here, this is one off of the same post I've mentioned earlier. They use a name. I'm pro Lindsay who lost her virginity in her sophomore year with a broken condom and now has to choose whether to be a teenage mom or just a teenager. Well, let's, let's just, Call it as it is. She sinned and she's done something and the actions of her sins have consequences. And in this case, it's a child. And thinking through these, um, thinking through it, like had you not, had you obeyed God and waited to have this, intimacy with your husband and the confounds of marriage, you're not dealing with these issues, right? This is not, this is not an issue. Abortion's not on the table anymore. Unless if it is on the table and you're married, you, there's other alternatives like your career. So you value your career more than the blessing of a child and the continual generations of a family line mm -hmm. and a heritage, a godly heritage is a blessing to people, not just to the family, but to the people who see this family. And a lot of stuff we've talked about in Proverbs and kind of how we interact with others. People are most exemplified in our family relationships and children allow the continual blessing of the Lord as children become parents and parents become grandparents and the joy of life continues to go. 
And there is just this kind of hatred towards the life in which would be a hatred towards the image of God. Well, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we see that when sin is rampant in a nation. That we seek to... Because if we were to show what was happening with Baal worship and then bringing these... um, or not Baal, what's the, where they would bring Moloch. So they would bring these babies and put them on these hands of this made God, made by hands, into these burning fire hands to burn up these children. People would say, that's horrible. Who would do such a thing? You, you who are ending the life of your child for on the altar of convenience for fill in the blank, whatever reason doesn't justify the murdering of your child. But that's what you're doing, the same thing. Because you've created, as you've said, Mike, an idol in your mind. An idol that suits you. Um, and, and really, the only ones who don't see it as a baby in the mother's womb is the ones that are unwanted. Because a woman could have an abortion because they don't want that child and end the life of that child and go to a co-worker's, um, uh, what do they call those? Uh, baby showers. Baby shower. Yeah. Because gender reveals. Gender reveals or a baby shower. <laughs> and they can go and bring a gift because this parent wants the child. So therefore, it's a baby. You're having a baby boy or a baby girl. Oh, that's awesome. Let me bring a gift. But I don't want the child, so it's not a child. And that, that's just, again, it's another one of those uh, inconsistent, uh, foolish arguments that people use. Another thing that is an argument that comes out is the only, only the pro-life people, those of us who go stand at abortion centers and preach the gospel, uh, those who speak out against pro, the pro-choice uh, uh, beliefs, who, who speak against abortion, uh, they only care about it. Until the birth of that child. Then, who cares if that child's in a system or who's going to help provide for that child? People don't care. And I think they fail to realize and recognize, first and foremost, God's word says that we are to take care of the widow and the orphans. And so where does this ideology or this thought come from of building orphanages? From Christians. From believers who are doing what they can to help. Yes, it's not a perfect world because of sin. Sin has affected everything in our in our culture. It's affected us. It's affected the ground we live in. Everything has been cursed because of sin. And so it's not a perfect world in which we live. There are children without parents, and they're in the foster care system. Is the foster care system great? No, not all. It's not that great. But should that child's life be ended? simply because that in, that child may have a hard life that's not again not a justification to end the life of that child i guarantee if you ask any kid who's had a rough childhood whether it be with their their biological parents or growing up in a foster care system and say would you rather have not lived i mean i doubt they're going to say yeah i wish i was never born Right. But even in that, I don't want to appeal to emotions. I'm just saying that I guess I am. Right. But 
even in that, the, that doesn't justify the ending of the life because how hard someone's life may be. And always when people make those kind of statements, it's as if they are the, the triune God who knows the future and knows exactly that that child's going to have a rough life. They don't know yep. that. Well, like usually whenever they make that statement about being pro-life up until, until they're born, they're talking about uh, that you're not pro-life because you don't support government welfare programs and other socialist mm -hmm. Medicaid and all that stuff. Um, and really, in as much as Christians do care, th th these people aren't going to go sit with their sick neighbor. They're not going to help with the bills uh, for their neighbor when they come due. They're not going to take care of the widow and the orphan in their distress. What they really want is for a, a socialist divine government to come in and do it. They don't want to do it themselves. They want to um, pawn it off on somebody else. So they're not really the loving ones just because they support socialism uh, in as much as they try to stump you because you don't. They don't care at all. They want somebody else to do it. They don't want to actually take care of people. So they're not really as loving as they'd like to think they are. And I think, too, is it's just a, some of that's just a false narrative. Right. That crisis um, pregnancy centers do try to help. And we just, our church just did a fundraiser for the one actually right next to the oldest of the abortion clinics here in Louisville um, to raise money so they can take care of and help these mothers whether it's through adoption and other means. And hopefully this is, would be a true statement that if one of these mothers would go to a Bible believing church and seeking help, that they would try to help her and not turn her away. And, and so there's some of that is just a false Narrative, especially in light that most of the people who adopt are Christians. So we do, we do care about these children. Um, and that, and it's just, so it's just, and it's part of it is just, it's just a false narrative um, to incite that, that Christians really don't care. They're just about, um, you know, the baby in the womb. And after that, it doesn't matter. And and most of the people I know in the pro-life movement, that's not how they are. And that's not what you see going on. And there are people who do care um, very much about it. And so, yeah, it's, I, with Natty P I've seen it too, that if we're really pro-life, we'd have free healthcare for the mother and free education and free diapers and all these, all these, socialist programs to to bring about it but that's not the solution in one sense that perpetuates the problem and and to to think about even that there's in some irony when obama was promoting lgbtq because it's pride month back several years ago there's billboards talking about no one can replace a father founded funded by 
government organizations. Well, what is it? You know, there is you they're trying to have it too. And and in reality, these mothers who don't have fathers who need this help, who when having a child do need help. Let's I'm not to sugarcoat that. Kids are expensive. They truly are. And maybe because you you have to wear diapers. No one wants to clean cloth diapers. And so they can jack the prices up to make the parents pay. I don't know. There might be some conspiracy there, but kids are expensive and they do need help. And a lot of the crisis pregnancies that I know of do seek to help past just the, the child in the womb. And so it's just, it is a complete false but also encountered to kind of the socialist idea, if we upheld marriage, then these children would have the support they needed and to not get stuck in the system and would have it. And a lot of, again, a lot of these discussions would be void if we held to a right understanding of marriage and intimacy within marriage. Right. That's the reason why, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the reason why when we do go to uh, an abortion mill to uh, seek the women to <clears throat> turn from that wicked, we preach the gospel because we recognize that the the sin of abortion, the sin of murdering their child is not the the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is they don't know Christ. They don't worship the one true and living God. They need to know Christ. Because we may, we may convince a woman to leave there that day, but we want to see them come to know Jesus because then that be by knowing Christ and getting into his word and his word working in your heart and leading you and guiding you, it's going to show you what a role of a woman is to be, what the role of a husband is to be, what the role of that family is to look like and, and raising your children. You're going to see those things. You're also going to see that it's not reliant upon the government providing for you. The Bible says that a man who doesn't take care of his household is worse than an unbeliever. So you're going to see these things in the scriptures, not always just seeking free handouts and seeking it. You're going to want to work. You're going to want to, you're going to want to do these kind of things because the Bible is instructing your living. Right? So that's what we preach the gospel for. But I think we also have to recognize that the way women are portrayed that go to have abortions as if these women are the victims. And I can tell you from experience, the majority of these women that go in there that we've said, we will adopt your child. We will help you. We will help you. There's many of them that said to us, I wouldn't let you adopt my child. I'd rather kill my child. I'd rather end the life. And this is how they state it. The majority of these women are not victims. Not that there aren't some who have been raped or who have been, you know, um, sex trafficked and brought in there. Not that there aren't some that 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 is their experience. Again, it's less than one percent. But the majority of these women going in there know exactly what they're doing. How many have said this is my fifth, sixth, seventh abortion? 
they know what they're doing, right? And so we got to understand and recognize that this here, another thing that'll come up and say, this is a political argument that we shouldn't be addressing it as Christians. We shouldn't be getting involved because this is political. This is politics. And unfortunately, politics does use this for the benefit. Republicans and Democrats use this for the benefit of getting votes so that they can get into office. But this isn't a political issue. This is a moral issue because of sin. And the solution to that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we go and we preach the gospel. Um, I think it really comes down. Go ahead. To think about that even more, um, God has given us governments to uphold morality. I know like you mentioned earlier, you can't legislate morality. And, and rightly so you mentioned about, well, that's, we we legislate morality all the time. But the fact that every law we have is on a basis of some sort of morality mm-hmm. and that's what God has placed governments in for governments are the sword to punish evil and to uphold good. And so there is no separation of church and state. That's our, to kind of make that line. There isn't the, the, our politics are based off of what we believe. And so this isn't just a, oh, this is a political issue. No, political issues are moral issues. And we have to think about them in that way. There is some sort of morality going on, how it affects what we think is right and wrong. And... And that's what the government does. And so to, again, I think it's just trying to take that, to try to apply this false idea that there should be a separation between church and state. Well, the one thing I think also, as we, we end this, I think uh, we should probably should wrap it up here. But the one thing I think we need to consistently do in these conversations. We can point out the foolishness of these arguments. Uh, We can do it with grace and compassion to those who are seeking to have genuine conversation. But the one thing we can never give up is the Word of God. I listened to a guy today who was a professing Christian who said that in these arguments, he never goes the religious route because he argues from the other standpoint of science and, and, and other ways of dealing with these argumentations because of the fact that as soon as he brings up the Bible says or this, they'll say, oh, you're a religious nut, and they don't even want to hear it. We don't give up the authority by which is the standard for why we say these things are wrong. It's wrong to murder because God says it's wrong to murder. It goes against the very nature of God. And so we don't give up the word of God in our conversations with individuals because we want to like argue with them on, on the same level. No, God's standard is the truth. So we don't give up God's standard to argue in these conversations. The Bible says, you may deny what the Bible says. You may reject what the Bible says. You may think it's not true. 
but the Bible is God's word and truth is dictated by God, who is the standard of truth. And if we give up the Bible, what's by what standard are we arguing with them for or with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, I think also, um, and he, I don't know, obviously I didn't listen to what it says, but this is what I would say is that science is natural revelation. I mean, science gives us and shows us how God has created this world. And it's to bring us to a point of worship because there's only, because that's, I mean, that's how there's only two types of revelation. What God has revealed to himself of himself in creation his works of creation, but he also has the works of providence and his special revelation, which he comes to condescends to our level to teach us about who we are, because in our sinfulness, we do not understand the revelation that that creation proclaims. And so no matter, even if you're making scientific arguments, you're just using natural revelation to make an argument. It's still a religious argument because God, all truth is God's truth. And when you appeal to people by truth found in God's world, you appeal in a religious argument. Nathaniel, anything you'd want to add before we wrap it up? Yeah. I don't know. Just as it relates to those things, like, uh, they they have a debased mind so like if you i don't know why you if you if you're a christian why you'd ever give up the sword of the spirit because god prom god promises that those p- people whose feelings don't care about your facts in his facts that the way that you reach those people and change their feelings is through his word he promises the only way he's promised to change people's hearts is through through his word whether it's preaching or the word read or whatever it's through his word and so why you'd ever presume upon god's grace for something he hasn't promised to change someone's mind by something other than his word so i think it's very presumptuous to say well i'm not going to use the bible i'm just going to rely on this over here um to change somebody's mind or heart i think it's silly and um it's definitely not a Christian way of doing things. It's a way of doing things, but it's not a Christian way of doing things. And that's not to say that uh, first order principles and and natural revelation aren't important and that you shouldn't appeal to them through the lens of, of God's word. But to say I'm not going to use God's word because they're they're going to think I'm a religious nut, nut job, that's just desiring the glory which comes from man and not the glory which comes from God. So I just think it's utterly foolish when people... Like I was at the abortion clinic once, and and there was, they they were shouting at, at these these uh, these people about, oh, you're just a bunch of religious yada yada yada, and this dude was boasting like, like you like he was proud of it, and he was like, all all my abortion against all my arguments against abortion are secular, like that's something to be proud of. I don't know, it was just if you're a Christian, then like do things like a Christian, not like somebody who doesn't have the Lord on their side. 
Yeah, absolutely. One more thing I do want to bring up that I was an argument I definitely wanted to address. Um, and we didn't bring it up. And so before I, um, oops, I this one back before we end the show, I do want to address this, this idea that we can't speak on this topic because we're not a woman. If you don't have ovaries, you can't speak on this. You're a man. You can't speak on this. Well, here's the reality. Nobody takes that to its logical conclusion, right? Because if you were to see a woman attempting to murder a two-year-old or a three-year-old, you would intervene. I hope you would intervene to try to save that life. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, it says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. So we are seeking to stand as a voice to the voiceless, as one who is rescuing the perishing, seeking to rescue the perishing, ultimately knowing that it is God who changes the heart, but he has means by which to do so. And so we stand on the word of God. We stand firm to say, look, wickedness is wickedness. I don't have to be a woman to say to a woman, that's wicked, that's evil, that's sin. That's murder. And so that that the whole argument of you don't you have to be a woman before you can speak on this issue is ridiculous because it takes a, 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 a it takes a father or it takes a man and a woman to bring forth that life. But you're wanting that woman to be quiet or that, that man to be quiet in that situation. It's just, it's not an argument that consists, can consistently be uh, held in any other area of life. Well, that, that and the fact that in this day and age, men can be birthing people too is, um, I don't know, that's like answering them according to their folly though. You know, you say that men can't speak to this, but men can get pregnant now and, have their monthlies and everything else. So, uh, the, the whole it's thing falls apart. Part. It's just, it's just a silly worldview. It's like, it's like at a certain point you just like kind of gotta like, you understand why it says that God mocks proud mockers and he who sits in the heavens laughs because it's just so, so dang silly. Yeah. You know? And, and as, uh, Catherine, um, said at the same time, this is such an important time for Christian women to speak up and enter these conversations and look, these conversations are going to happen. You don't even have to seek them out. I mean, there's people around you. I hear people talking about this issue. Conservatives from a conservative perspective, they're not talking about it from the basis of the scripture, but I hear people having this conversation and we who are Christians have the answers. Christian women who hold to the scriptures have biblical answers. And so we need to speak on it. Mike, any last words, thoughts before we close it out? Yeah. Um, we mentioned it earlier and just to kind of think about it, um, to mention it, this is just, this is one battle of the war on abortion. And so while we can celebrate and thank God for what God has done um, with ending Roe versus Wade and the constitutional, false constitutional protection it provided, 
that um, it's not over with. There are states where abortions are still being being um, done. There are states like in Kentucky where the ACLU has filed lawsuits, try to challenge laws in place that have stopped abortion. And so the battle in one sense is only really heating up now that the other side is losing grounds in this battle. And so while we consider these arguments and we rejoice in God's goodness and his um, on us and repealing it in one sense, this is only the beginning. This was just one step. And now we need Christians to fight for ending abortion within their state or even as Rand Paul, one of the senators here of Kentucky, has stated, of bringing laws on the federal level that will end abortion for all states, doing it through the proper means of our government. And so there are work that we can do to end it. And so while we praise God for the victory, it is just a battle and a war. And the war still is continuing. Yeah. Well, that's been G220 Radio. I'm going to leave you with this. Go and you can get your Mark and Avoid G220 ministry shirt over at bnecho.com.